spider cam and i'm not an empty seat anymore i'm eric welcome to the podcast where we look at the pop culture of our youth through the lens of adulthood it's not about good or bad it's about then and now as we try our best to answer the question has anybody lost a large roll of 20 dollar bills in a rubber band because we found the rubber band <laughs> oh and what were we watching <laughs> Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, heroes and villains, to episode 196. It's Spider-Man 2. Look at us, three Spider-Man in the same place. (laughs) Who could imagine? (laughs) It's unthinkable. Spider-Cam introduced himself, but we also have a very special guest from the multiverse. And dear God, he's he's just a kid. He's older than my son. (laughs) It's Sam Stolvold. (laughs) Hey, guys. Thank you for having me. This is a very coveted episode. Oh my gosh, I can't even imagine. I, <laughs> I'm shocked that you're uh, you're giving it to me. I'll do my best, but I don't know. I've got so much I could say about this movie. I don't know how I'm going to fit it into one episode. <laughs> we'll see what happens. Well, it's been so long since we've had you uh, by yourself yep. on this podcast. Yeah, what? Last so time was it's what? time to bring you back. Planet of the Apes, right? Uh, uh, it was that uh, super was, long weenathon. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. Okay, but the last time I... Talk about like a specific one specific film. True, yeah. true. But you were talking about Spider Man that last time. <laughs> That's right. And I actually, well, I'm glad that you you're letting me have this because I, when we were talking about the Weenathon, just to rewind back a couple mm-hmm. a couple years or whenever it was that we were doing that, one of the things I suggested was like, hey, can we just like excise a scene from Spider Man Two and right. talk about that? <laughs> and Cam, you said. No, because we might be doing a Spider-Man Two episode at some point in the future, and I want to save—I want to save my hot takes. And I was like, okay, well, I understand that. And uh, I'd never thought—I never could have thought at the time <laughs> that I would then one day get to actually be on the Spider-Man Two episode. So <laughs> we teased it years ago. Yeah. <laughs> and now is the time to officially put up or shut up. Those takes better be hot. You better have them being warmed. <laughs> Inside uh, the power of the sun that's in the palm of your hand. Get them, get them hotter than that. <laughs> uh, they've been baking for 15 years now. Or longer? When was 2004? A long yeah, time. Yeah, 17 years. Oh, man. That's insane to think about. Almost two decades I've lived <laughs> with this movie. Woo! <laughs> and you know, it's also insane. Officially, Sam, we can welcome t- you to the Ten Timers Club here on What Were We Watching? <laughs> Was I not there already? <laughs> well, that's what's insane. It's like, how, how did it take this long? 
196 episodes in and here you are i i'm not i'm i'm deliberately not counting the april fools episode because neither mm. cam or i were there mm. <laughs> so. that might be why i i was confused i was like i thought i was there already and uh yeah let's let's not count that let's just pretend that never happened um so yeah thank you oh my god this is like the the best gift that you could give me as a, a tenth episode too i seriously i love this movie so much guys just spoilers those that's gonna be a lot of my take hopefully it's hot <laughs> enough for you but then, then here here's the whole episode why why sam why <laughs> well it just makes me feel good i don't know what else you All want right. to say thanks for listening everybody <laughs> <laughs> it's pretty cool when spider-man stops the train that was cool <laughs> yeah that was awesome and I just want to point out that awesomeness dates all the way back to June the 30th of 2004, directed by Sam Raimi, written by Alvin Sargent from a story by Alfred Goff and Miles Millar and Michael Chabon, and starring Tobey Maguire, Kirsten Dunst, James Franco, Rosemary Harris, J.K. Simmons, and Alfred Molina, along with a lot of other wonderful bit roles and characters that we'll be talking about, I'm sure. <laughs> Maria Bamford, anyone? Wait, she's in this? Yeah. <laughs> Blake, and you miss it. She literally is an extra. She has no lines or anything. It's a sequence in which Doc Ock is climbing up an office building, and it shows a scene from inside the office building, and she is one of the people sitting behind a desk, and it's like, mm. if you know she's there, there can be no doubt it is Maria Bamford. So, Ooh. Just, just one of the little bit roles that I'm uh, excited to get into. That's really all That's, there is to say about Maria Bamford, but some of the other ones are, are like, great. <laughs> That's not just a bit roll. That's like a morsel roll. That's oh, yeah. A, yeah. That's... that's an atom roll. Like, this is... <laughs> We're going real granular tonight. I can tell. <laughs> I'll try and pare it back a little bit. I'm not going to be breaking down every extra that we see in a shot, but you know, we'll see what happens. <laughs> this is You already had your chance on Spider-Man 2 Minute. We can't... This is, this is a different type of thing. <laughs> But the the joy is that we get to talk about it all. And before we get to talking about it all, we got to remember all that happens. And, you know, I believe there's a recap in all of us. But (laughs) mostly I just want to hear Cam's. Would you mind, Cam, recapping Spider-Man 2? Peter Parker's going through a tough time. He's struggling to make rent with two jobs, both of which he gets fired from. His Aunt May gets evicted. He's grown distant from Mary Jane, whom he loves, but decided that he can't be in a relationship with because he's Spider-Man and it's dangerous. As a result of these life challenges, Peter starts periodically losing his powers. Meanwhile, Peter's best friend Harry Osborn, now head of Oscorp, sponsors a fusion project by Dr. Otto Octavius, who becomes a friend and mentor to Peter. Octavius has built a set of neurally controlled mechanical arms to handle hazardous materials, but when a demonstration gets out of control, the neural chip becomes damaged and the arms permanently attached with a mind of their own. Otto goes mad, robs a bank, the press dubs him Dr. Octopus. Seeking revenge on Spider-Man after apparently killing his father, the villainous Green Goblin from the first film, Harry Osborn strikes a deal with Dr. Octopus. Harry will provide him with the isotope he needs for his fusion machine if Doc Ock can deliver Spider-Man to him. Elsewhere, after Mary Jane becomes engaged to astronaut John Jameson, Peter decides to quit being Spider-Man altogether and focus on his normal life, though he fails to patch things up with Mary Jane. 
He's about to reveal his secret to her when Dr. Octopus attacks, kidnapping Mary Jane and telling Peter to find Spider-Man. Peter's powers return. He confronts Doc Ock and convinces him to turn good again. Otto regains control of his mechanical arms and purposely sinks his fusion machine before it destroys the city, drowning himself in the process. Peter rescues Mary Jane, who now knows his secret. Harry Osborn also knows Spider-Man's secret and stumbles upon his father's uh, goblin lair. And Mary Jane calls off her wedding to rekindle her romance with Peter. And that's the end. Cue dashboard confessional. <laughs> Go get him, Tiger. Wonderful. It's a wonderful film. It's a wonderful life. <laughs> <laughs> well, Peter might disagree. <laughs> right. Well, that's, that's so much of what makes this film wonderful. Yeah. But yeah. we'll get into all that. The humanity. Oh, the humanity of Spider-Man. <laughs> but first, uh, I want to know, Sam, do you remember the first time that you saw this movie? Um, It's difficult to... Like, I don't know if I have any specific memories that are associated with the first time I saw it in theaters. Um, I know I was instantly over the moon for it, though. The the first Spider-Man, I had loved in its own goofy way. But I had my issues with it, too. Uh, and I had almost no issues with this, pretty much from the get-go. I, I saw it, I'm sure, opening weekend, because I was very hyped for it. I don't know, do you guys remember the... Um, the teaser trailer, the first trailer that they played for this at all. Was it the scene with Peter and MJ in the cafe? Yeah, it basically, it starts like mid-scene with them just having this kind of emotional heart-to-heart talk. Mm-hmm. And then it lingers on that for a decent amount of time for a trailer. And then a car gets thrown through the window and Doc Ock appears. And then there's like some standard trailer stuff after that. But I just remember even just that trailer had me so excited because i was like what like mm. what is this even gonna be like i feel like it mm. very accurately uh conveyed the sense that it's like it's gonna be about like feelings and relationships <laughs> and and then also uh dr octopus is gonna be there and it's gonna be crazy <laughs> and insane and fantastic yeah so it, it definitely did not disappoint the first time i saw it and i ended up seeing it seven more times in theaters wow is that the most you've seen a movie, or have you seen anything more than that? I have seen one other movie as many times, and and then I've seen two other movies more than that. <laughs> All three of them Star Wars movies, so this yes. is the only one in that uh, that top four to crack to crack that top four that is a a, a non Star Wars movie. So nice. I'm glad this is what it is because I I definitely like this more than. Phantom Menace and Revenge of the Sith, which are the two that I've seen more than this. And it's tied with Last Jedi, which I also love. Like, I've, I've okay, seen Last yeah. Jedi and Spider-Man 2 eight times in theaters, and those are movies that I can stand by seeing that many times in theaters. So It's okay if you just want to make that the record. We don't have to count the prequels. You can just, you just say, like, nah, you can, you can shave a few of the viewings off those. Oh no, I count I count the prequels. I count those 19 viewings of those two movies that I saw oh in theaters. Oh my god. <laughs> Shit. Yeah, you put them together and that's horrifying, but it makes sense <laughs> if, if I saw this movie 8 times and I've seen both of those more, it can't be anything less than 19, so I see. Anyways, yeah. Uh, so that was my my memory of seeing it uh in theaters is that I saw it many times in theaters. I kept going over <laughs> and over again. I couldn't stop. 
because it was one of those movies where it's like, what if I never get to see this in theaters again? And it, mm. I just couldn't live with myself for not seeing it as many times as possible. What about I mean, you guys? I How many times did you that. see it? <laughs> Eight, nine, ten? What are we t- what are we looking at here? Oh my god! I can't. I mean, I wish I had that that kind of drive with movies <laughs> that I love. But uh, I'm, st- you, you I'm still be, like, too lazy. You, know, <laughs> you got to be motivated, and it's it's definitely drive. That's what it is. It's uh, with great quality comes great responsibility to see that quality <laughs> filmmaking as many times as possible as the old saying goes yes <laughs> I, I believe my uncle used to say that to me. <laughs> i don't think i've ever seen any movie in theaters more than twice no three times i guess i saw the last jedi three times nice was i there with you that third time y- you were yes <laughs> <laughs> you, you were rubbing off on me that was my seventh viewing of Last yeah. Jedi. <laughs> I saw each prequel one time more than the episode number. So I saw like episode three, four times, episode two, three times, and so on. <laughs> so that, I mean, Revenge of the Sith might be the thing I've seen the most times in theaters. A sobering thought. That's my, that's my number one also. <laughs> saw that <laughs> ten times in theaters. Man, what were you thinking? Well, at the time, I was like, oh, I really want to break my Phantom Menace record because I don't like that being my number one. And boy, do I wish I'd broken it with a different movie. But <laughs> here we are. <laughs> I made weird decisions uh, in 2005 and 2004. Well, you know, there's, you've got plenty of life to live, God willing. So there's, <laughs> there's hope yet for that record to be broken. I have only seen it. I only saw it once in the theater to answer your question. <laughs> in that summer of 04, baby, I was, uh, I went to our local movie theater with my sister, Amy, uh, because at that time, I think around the end of 2003, we had gone kind of got into a habit of going to the movies together at least once a month. Uh, cause she was attending college, uh, near where, you know, my parents live. So near where we grew up. And it was possible for us to go and hang out and have a sibling movie day together every now and then. But that era was just like, I think kind of launched my whole, you know, kind of serious theater going persona that I, that I have. And by that, I mean, it's just like, it's the thing, you know, it just gave me an excuse to remember that it's awesome and fun to go to the movies, (laughs) which is something I had somehow forgotten in the junior high years. Uh, I'm like you, Eric. I only saw it once in theaters uh, I don't have a specific memory of it I do remember enjoying it but I don't remember loving it until later I think like once I was kind of doing my decade end wrap up of like the 2000s I was like man Spider-Man 2 keeps like floating to the top <laughs> for reasons we'll get into yeah why it's why it's great but yeah yeah I just I saw it the one one time in the summer but I was also like getting really into film at that point yeah and seeing like a lot of stuff in theaters, so I think everything kind of blends, blurs together around then. Yeah, uh, two thousand four, that was an amazing time for movies too. Like three of my favorite movies of the decade like came out. Like mm. we, we also had like Kill Bill Volume Two and Eternal Sunshine yeah. and Spotless Mind the same year. Mm. Yeah, mm-hmm. I saw each of those at least three times each. Boy, I was going to the movies a lot <laughs> in high school. <laughs> Prisoner of Azkaban also. 2004 was it yeah. i feel like I, I kind of 
hold these those two movies like Azkaban and Spider-Man 2 in like similar categories because I feel like they do similar things where like every little character every little side character every extra has a moment like the directors really just like bring these movies to life with every piece of the movie every aspect of the mise-en-scene and the, like, the casting and everything like everything just feels so alive and I don't know I kind of lump these like those two movies together for some reason and don't and Van Helsing, of course, <laughs> same same way. <laughs> I think what it was criminal is is that Spider Man Two was a movie that kind of did exist mostly a just memory for me. I think aside from that time in the theaters, I probably watched it once in college because Spider Man Three was coming out, and so you know, me and you, Cam or Brian, we probably were rewatching Spider Man films, and then I don't think I had seen it since then until yesterday <laughs> which is wow kind of amazing that is, that is that is shocking yeah this movie even after that those eight theater viewings it became comfort food to me like if i had like a shitty day or something it was like you know i need spider-man too and so even <laughs> yeah even a while like for a couple of years it was like every couple months i'd still end up throwing it on it was an obsession for me and then spider-man 3 came out but that's a story for another podcast of course yes although i actually do (laughs) um, so i mentioned that i've seen this in the last jedi the same amount of times and i was thinking of the ways in which the spider-man trilogy and the star wars sequel trilogy are Mm. um there's some kind of uh similarities there at least in terms of my my views of them my feelings towards them Whereas um, Spider-Man 1, Force Awakens, I think they're both like very fun introductory yarns. They're very watchable, enjoyable movies. I'm having a good time while I'm watching them. Not thinking about either of them a ton after I finished. Spider-Man 2 and The Last Jedi are movies that expand upon what was started in such a huge way. Like everything is like, like the emotions are bigger, like the, the feelings, the relationship between all the characters is all like perfect and then uh rise of skywalker and spider-man 3 are both break your heart yeah squandered potential uh overstuffed and they both sideline the antagonist that they've been building up for the previous two movies like they both rob them of their agency like Mm. in terms of spider-man 3 harry becomes an an amnesia sufferer like within the first <laughs> 10 15 minutes and then right. mm-hmm. uh even earlier than that in rise of skywalker uh kylo ren is usurped by palpatine and suddenly these characters that should have been the main villain of the final movie are sidelined anyways we don't need to trash rise of skywalker and spider-man 3 we need to celebrate <laughs> spider-man 2 and the last jedi <laughs> <laughs> And also, we need you know we needed to fulfill our Star Wars quotient for this episode. Well, you know, so thank, I thank you. <laughs> kicking off the new year, I just want to make sure you're starting off on the right foot. That Star yes. Wars is getting shoehorned in as quickly and as unnecessarily as possible. Wouldn't have it any other way. <laughs> oh man, yeah, this movie though, like just like from the start of it, I remember just being pretty much one over immediately because the the opening credits like it's the same music from spider-man one which i had fallen in love with uh fantastic danny elfman theme 
But then the these opening credits are so much cooler than Spider-Man ones with the Alex Ross paintings. <laughs> that is, it's like ties back into the comic roots because Alex Ross was is was and is just this awesome comic book artist painter like working in the business at the time. And I was familiar enough with Alex Ross to even as I was watching, I was like, oh man, these are this is Alex Ross. This is like <laughs> these are they're doing their homework, and yeah. it's such an awesome way to just sort of. Uh, you know, summarize the first one again in such a like visually exciting way, and it yeah. complements the music so well. And I just remember it got me in a like a good mood that I knew I was going to have a good time. Like right off the bat, I was ready to love this movie, and it did not disappoint. <laughs> and you also love pizza. <laughs> pizza time. Pizza time. Pizza. <laughs> <laughs> you also love uh, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles too: Secret of the Ooze. Which begins with a similar pizza delivery sequence. I definitely had not seen that at the time. Can we? Can we now? Okay, this is going to be my comparison then of the Spider-Man, the Raimi Spider-Man trilogy with the TMNT trilogy. Oh baby, I think the same comparison works. You have me. You got me. Yeah. Say no more. Man, I, I got to spend more time with that trilogy though. I still haven't seen the third one. And oh, okay. I, I've only seen one and two once each, and I know it's blasphemy, but I, I liked one more, so I need to, that, I need to figure out why everybody is so into the news. Is it really? Yeah. I mean, so, yeah, I, feel I, like, I mean, that. <laughs> like, you guys, and I feel like all the other friends that I hear talking about Ninja Turtles, like, everybody seems to be oozing. <laughs> Just oozing. <laughs> <laughs> and I don't, I don't think, I don't think the third Turtles ever breaks my heart the way that Spidey 3 or Rise of Skywalker do. It's less good, for sure. But I feel like every time I watch it, I'm like, you know, it's not that bad. <laughs> <laughs> That's honestly kind of where I'm at with Spider-Man 3 these days, too. Like, mm. it's it's not heartbreaking to me the way that it once was. It just certainly yeah. is not what I wanted. It's still not what I want, but, but it's like, mm. Before we move on from turtles um it's funny it's funny because like pizza time has become such a meme these right. days yeah but i also think of pizza time being from the game boy game uh tmnt2 back from the sewers i believe it's called one of my favorite game boy games but there's like a part <coughs> i forget like when it happens but it's like a little mini game or something but it's like pizza time <laughs> <laughs> so this was sam raimi's homage <laughs> To that game Every time I, th- game. I hear pizza time, like I, I, I already have an association with that phrase. <laughs> <laughs> this is definitely the memeiest Spider-Man movie. Yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> I, well, another way that it's similar to Last Jedi to me is uh, a <laughs> lot of lot of jokes, while at the same time taking the subject matter very seriously, and right. that's that's what I want. You know, yeah. Star Wars is serious. It's worth taking serious, but it's also goofy. Let's have fun, and that's. Exactly the attitude that I feel like this movie has. It's like, let's just be silly. It's a Spider-Man movie. But at the same time, let's take these characters very seriously. And uh, I love that mix so much. I think that's like my prime for a franchise. That's like, that's what I want. Let's, let's get, let's be silly. Let's not take ourselves too seriously. But at the same time, nothing matters more. Well, yeah. You you want to be sincere, but you don't want to be grim. Because like, I, I couldn't get over how sad everything is for Peter especially in the first mm-hmm. third of this movie. Like, what a sad-ass life he is living. Mm-hmm. Uh, yes, uh, that I, I love so much. Because my 
my ideal Spider-Man is one in which life is just overwhelmingly difficult. And so for that reason, how could this not be my favorite Spider-Man movie? Cause they, it's just constant twisting of the knife for poor Peter. Every, like every moment, it's just one after another things just keep yeah. shattering. Like his life is just falling apart. And I think Spider-Man movies are at their best when things are very difficult for Peter. I agree. And it, and it's punctuated by these like comedic little moments where mm-hmm. like nothing is going right for him. Yep. Like I love, I love the sequence at the party where he can't, he can't get a drink, yep. he can't get like <laughs> the hors d'oeuvres, hors d'oeuvres. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> or he's like he's supposed to be taking pictures and he's like got one set up, but then he has the lens cap on and yeah. like, they walk <laughs> so away, he goes to take yeah. it off and they, they walk away before he can. <laughs> it's couched in this very emotional movie, like all these little hilarious moments, or I don't know, but it all blends so beautifully. Yeah, it's peppered throughout, like an emotional scene too like yeah within that same scene that those little humorous beats are happening like we've got <laughs> he finds out his love interest is getting married to someone else yeah his best friend is like drunkenly slapping him in the middle of this party yeah yeah, <laughs> yeah like for them to to be able to like shift so naturally between like just goofy slapsticky humor and then just heartfelt heartbreaking moments i mm-hmm. i can't get enough of it <laughs> that party scene <laughs> yeah it's so good i love even after the, like immediately after the party scene where it just is he's just swinging around the city and it's just like kind of this close-up shot of just his face just his spider-man mask mm-hmm. not like the the kind of crazy cg heavy spider-man swinging scenes mm-hmm. that are a, a regular thing in this trilogy it's just a close-up, just Spider-Man lost in thought, just swinging through the city thinking about things. And uh, I al- I've always... That's when his web stopped working, right? Yes, and then his web stopped working, which is... I mean, that's why the scene is there, ultimately, is so his webs can stop working and keep moving yeah. the plot forward in that way. What I always loved about that scene is that it harkens back to like a specific run of Spider-Man that was very near and dear to my heart like when I was a kid. Because I've been a Spider-Man com- like comic reader and fan, for a long time like it wasn't wasn't like i got started with this movie uh as a kid like the there was a there was three spider-man titles that were going on at the time there was spectacular spider-man amazing spider-man and web of spider-man and amazing spider-man's like the flagship title that's the one that's been going on since uh mm-hmm. 63 67 63 i think but spectacular spider-man was the one that i was really into at the time and specifically there was this right uh the writer at the time J.M. DeMattis was doing like just these kind of like heart-wrenching psychological uh, just messed up storylines where Harry had fully gone insane and he knew that Peter was Spider-Man and was just finding ways to publicly and emotionally torment him. Like almost every issue during that run there would be like entire like pages where it would just be spider-man swinging around the city at night and he would just have like paragraphs of thought bubbles just of him like thinking about all the ways that his life was going wrong and like how did it get this bad like how did he's my best friend what can i do he's tormenting my wife he's tormenting his own wife and child and just paragraphs and paragraphs of him just in thought and i kind of had mixed feelings about them as a kid but i've grown to love them and i feel like this shot in the movie that's what it feels like to me he's he's just Mm. He's swinging around the city, and he's just as 
this is where the paragraphs of thought bubbles would be of him just like <laughs> thinking like how did it get this bad like how mm. how could everything have gone so wrong for me and mm-hmm. not at all intentional i'm sure but it works for me in my head canon as being like an awesome nod to like the specific spider-man comics that were happening in the early 90s mm-hmm. that i loved i love spectacular spider-man it's my it's my favorite of the of the comics like the well i think that's that's like the root of the character ultimately mm-hmm. is is this superhero that struggles to you know reconcile his normal everyday life with the superhero life and it's always biting him in the ass like it's always coming back to haunt him like he it sucks all the time like (laughs) (laughs) he can't keep relationships he can't keep a job he you know his villains always find out about the people in his life and put them in danger and spider-man is is one of the most human and relatable heroes and i think that's why he endures yeah Oh, 100% agree with that take and that interpretation of the character. And I, I Sam, I think I think your reading is very valid in a film that kind of revels in those existential moments. Like, that's not the mm-hmm. only one. Yeah. I, yeah. I, I love, like, again, rediscovering the parts, like, when he's just Peter, he's given he's given up being Spider-Man, but he's, he runs into that burning building to save a child, mm-hmm. which is just, like it's just incredibly devastating scene uh, stuck in the middle of this summer blockbuster. <laughs> you almost think like, what is this doing here? You know, you, you discovering that's, you know, he saved this child, but another person perished who was in the building that he couldn't save. And just, I think, I think I really like the way that these Raimi movies and especially Spider-Man two doesn't sugarcoat anything about uh, being a superhero. Like, there's always the element of power fantasy to these kind of movies, but they never fail in, in these Spider-Man films to show the shitty side of all of that mm-hmm. power. Mm-hmm. The so-called responsibility, the vegetables of responsibility and the <laughs> burdens. Like the only thing, like the closer, closest things I can think of are kind of like moments in, in like Superman stuff when, you know, he's just overwhelmed by all the, the, the sheer number of people that need help. Mm-hmm. in the world but even then they don't really explore that the way that spider-man movies seem to yeah i yeah and the the way that they depict some of that like as he's intentionally sh- shirking his responsibilities mm. like the the part where he literally walks like he sees a guy getting mugged in an alley and he has to just turn his back and walk yeah, away he's and it's really like, this is our hero like turning a blind eye yeah it's shocking and it's mm-hmm. and it's so devastating you know yeah. there's no other word i have for it and it comes right after the the bj thomas raindrops keep falling on my head which is such a a joyous sequence even mm-hmm. if there's like hints of it there where he sees the cop cars and then defiantly stuffs the hot dog in his mouth and stuff like that but <laughs> you know it's overall like oh man look at pete he's getting it together and then you know before like we're we're still processing how nice that looked for him to kind of feel like he's gained some kind of control over his life again. And then he turns his back on somebody getting mugged. And then he's in that burning building, like saving a child, trying to save a child, but with no powers and just it's, it's brutal. Like the lessons that he has to learn, like just seeing bits of him 
being chipped away as he tries to not be Spider-Man, knowing what he's yeah. what it's costing other people. This is where you put yeah. the the gif of Joe Bluth saying, "I've made a terrible mistake." <laughs> <laughs> Because he's like, it's it's the movie exploring this dichotomy, you know, between the Peter side and the and the Spider Man side, and he, you know, this movie is just basically about choosing to be Peter instead of Spider Man, and why that is incorrect. Right. <laughs> like the movie has a very very uh, uh, very solid point of view on this. It's very decisive when it comes down to it because, and it's you know in Aunt May's speech, basically, no, like, we you know, we need heroes. We need people who will sacrifice for the greater good. And that's important. So <clears throat> I have just so amazed uh, that this movie exists at all. Like <laughs> this <laughs> is the, this is what we're exploring in the sequel to what was at the time, like the highest grossing movie ever. Mm. Was it really or one of them or one of them? I remember, I remember it broke a lot of records. The first, the 2002 Spider-Man. And this is just a, a crazy direction to go into. And I, I think I am kind of a little bummed that I didn't recognize its greatness earlier, but it was so much more fun than to rediscover now being like, wow, this is, this is the real deal. You really weren't lying all these years, Sam. I appreciate that. <laughs> Watch it. You're like, this is what I was watching. This is awesome. <laughs> well, on the note of on the note of Spider-Man quitting, since Sam's here, I can't go without mentioning Batman Forever, <laughs> <laughs> and how this movie is basically the equivalent story for Spider-Man, where the hero quits only to realize that he will have to be Spider-Man forever. Like oh. he even says it, "I will always be Spider-Man." <laughs> that is and not a comparison it's... that you want to draw for poor <laughs> Batman Forever. yeah not to drag that movie into this but um i I do think it's an intriguing story for any superhero to go through yeah and i think this is just a really good version of it and i know that there's a this movie this movie directly references there's a spider-man no more story arc in the 60s -hmm. where he stops being spider-man they even like recreate the cover image of that yes iconic exactly when he like puts the suit in the trash can and walks down the alleyway. Mm-hmm. Um, and then they like, you know, say Spider-Man no more on the, on the newspaper headlines. Like, yeah. yeah I, Peter says it. I am Spider-Man. Yeah. Right. No more. And then they double down with the headline. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, I, I read that, that actually for the first time um, earlier today. Oh yeah. That, wow. that little three part cool. storyline. Nice. The movie's way better, Does it... but it's, it's still good. <laughs> <laughs> the, it's really only the first issue of that, that he quits being Spider-Man, but in doing so, mm-hmm. like, crime runs rampant in the city. It's the first appearance of Kingpin, yeah. which I didn't realize, and mm. Kingpin oh, wow. basically takes over, consolidates all the crime bosses, and then the, the next two issues are just him fixing the problem after he's decided that he does need to stay Spider-Man. But it goes through a lot of the same mm-hmm. beats. Like, yeah. pretty much the whole issue is, like, the raindrops keep falling on my head sequence just <laughs> and then at the end he he has to save somebody he's like oh who does he remind me of oh my god he reminds me of uncle ben and then it like suddenly all comes <laughs> flooding back to him and he realizes that he needs to continue being spider-man on the subject of that specific you know panel recreation of that panel or cover or whatever it was with the suit and the trash i remember in the lead up to this movie that being a big deal like people were pointing it out saying like they've gone to pains to recreate this actual image from the comics and, and 
elements of the storyline. Basically, the first time I heard about something like being in so-called inspired by the the comics, because like up to this point, that wasn't really like uh, a selling point for a lot of these movies. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Before they they understood that you could you could you know be unabashedly you know reverent of the comics or, or just, fitting yeah, in that many story. references. Yeah, it's free free storylines. You know, you just take them. You already get your story. You just need to yeah. make a movie yeah. out of it. Or like if you look at X Men, the X Men movies, just a couple of years before Spider Man, yeah, they shy, they definitely shied away yeah. from like their comic book roots. It's like no, no, they can't wear colorful costumes. Yeah. You know, we gotta like rein this in, like grounded in some sort of reality. And that's what makes this yeah. Spider Man so special. Like, and this is coming from so I I loved those X Men movies. I still, I mean, I still like them a lot. And like we'd had X Men and then Spider Man and then X Two, and X Two is like. I still, it's fantastic. I love it. But yeah, it's like, it's all leather and kind of edge. And it's <laughs> like, how can we make comic books like cooler and a little more palatable? Mm-hmm. And to me, like the Raimi movies are like anti-cool. Like <laughs> they mm-hmm. are just, Peter Parker is a nerd who just wants to do good things for people. And the movie, especially, we, I mean, the, the, the whole trilogy does. I'll, I'll, I'll give, I'll throw a bone to Spider-Man 3. But it's all about like just sincerity and doing the right thing and it doesn't it's not about being cool like spider-man never does anything that's that cool like Mm -hmm. it's just he dances in that jazz club that's pretty cool (laughs) (laughs) that's a that's a good point like Like when spider-man 3 does try to be cool oh boy is it nerdy (laughs) now dig on this Yeah, since we've had, you know, a couple Spider-Men since then, Andrew Garfield, Tom Holland, um, Toby remains, like, the dorkiest, most oh. Peter Parker Spider-Man. By a country mile. Mm-hmm. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and that there there is something very sincere and endearing about that. I mentioned a couple times that um, raindrops keep falling in my head, but that's the second of two musical interludes. And the first one happens earlier as, uh, as Peter's getting ready to go see MJ's show. When that music starts playing the first time, there was never there wasn't anything like that at all in Spider Man One. I think there was a part of me the first time I watched it where it's like I want to hate this, but I couldn't. And it's like why? Like why did I even have that reflex? And I feel like it's almost because it's too earnest. It's like too emotionally which, like open and vulnerable. Which like, song is that? It's Hold On, the song by Jet. Oh, the Jet song. You know, I enjoy that song, and I and I. Oh, I've come to love it. Yeah, when that part came on the on the in the movie, I was like, "What is this song? I'm kind of into it right now." <laughs> well, I don't know if that's a, that's a good segue into the soundtrack to this movie, which I definitely wanted to talk about. It was not something I initially was like that aware of. I knew some, I knew like some of the the hits from it, but upon looking at the track list, holy shit, does it capture the time period? <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> Man, this was like a very specific period of high school for me. Like maybe a little later, but that tracks if it, you know, they were making the movie earlier than 2004. But like Dashboard Confessional, Vindicated is a great song, I will say. I used to hate that um, as a kid because it comes on immediately, like before the movie's even fully faded to black, Mm. the song starts Mm -hmm. playing. 
And I was like, what is that? Like, what? Just play Danny Elfman music. And <laughs> and I remember saying, like, this is going to age this movie so much, having the song mm. cut in here. And it, it does. It, and it does. But now I love that about it. And I actually have grown fond of the song, too. So you could say, at the time. Yeah. you could say, it's been vindicated. There you go. <laughs> it's the long con. Um, but yeah, it is. A, it's a good song. I like it now. But oh boy, did I not at first i like it a lot better than the song that the big one for spider-man one though that mm. hero oh, macy gray <laughs> no, macy no. gray <laughs> Ma- macy gray is all right i don't mind that the, the uh, chad kroger song the hero right hero yeah. hero can save us yeah now <laughs> i'm gonna stand in his way yeah <laughs> yeah because I rewatched Spider-Man One also, just in anticipation mm. of recording this, and mm-hmm. that song came on again. I was like, "Oh boy, I do not miss this. I do not miss <laughs> hearing this all the time." Because that was everywhere for yes, a while. It was. Yeah. <clears throat> that happened um, to a, a much lesser degree, I feel, with this soundtrack. But I w- I do give it props for being kind of like the last finger clinging to the ledge of the you know the the compilation soundtrack era you know it's like i know right maybe the very last one (laughs) that's what i'm thinking too it's such a 90s thing and i was like that 2004 myth yeah you're you're hanging in there and it's doing its job of like dating it in in the way that it's like you look at the soundtrack and it's like man that was a time like i'll I'll just rattle off some of the other artists that are featured train doing like cock rock which was surprising to me (laughs) uh hoobastank uh, we mentioned the Jet, Yellow Card, Maroon 5, Taking Back Sunday, Midtown, Lost Profits, Smile Empty Soul, The Atari, Switchfoot, uh, Anna Johnson, and then Jimmy Nieco with Brian May of Queen. Mm-hmm. But yeah, like I listened to so many of these artists in high school. Uh, I saw four of them live, even. <laughs> <laughs> Wow. That would be Yellow Card, Taking Back Sunday, The Ataris, and Midtown. I loved Midtown. Midtown's my favorite artist from the soundtrack, and it's a great song that's featured. So, I think at the time that this movie came out, my brother worked at Sam Goody, so he was able to buy, he was able to get a lot of cheap CDs. So I know that we had this in the house, but as far as I was concerned, it had two Danny Elfman tracks on it, (laughs) and and then that, that song by Jet, which I liked but i hadn't yeah. warmed up to as much as i have now so it was basically just a couple danny elfman songs and a bunch of stuff that i'm gonna skip <laughs> i will say i will say yeah like i i did listen to it all again to this today and so many of these bands can do better like i feel like the the songs that they picked for this soundtrack are like not that great mm-hmm. for the most part but just like the choice of artists i'm like oh man like that's that's that was the time <laughs> and it gave me warm feelings even if i like left the soundtrack itself being like meh, meh. <laughs> <laughs> you know what it is missing though is that awesome michael buble version of the spider-man theme that plays right? during the credits <laughs> i think that, that's actually my favorite music from the movie <laughs> this that that song by the way was huge in my house ah. uh, because my my dad is a huge Spider-Man fan and was a huge fan of these movies, so he was like right there with us opening day. Like I'm sure he, you know, he was probably I probably saw it with him like maybe two or three times. I don't know. I saw it eight times. I had to be seeing it with some people. But mm-hmm. that Michael Bublé song, I remember like we got we bought the Michael Bublé album that had came out around that time that had like the full version of it, <laughs> and it got a, it got a lot of play. 
in the house. So I have hearing that again at the end of this when I watched it last week. I was like, <laughs> oh my god, I completely forgot. How could I forget? <laughs> like that, I'd heard it so many times. But it's delightful. One of my favorite renditions of that song for sure. But as far as as far as the whole the actual soundtrack goes, I I hadn't really listened to it. I, I sampled some songs in this last few days. Um I actually like that train song quite a bit. But you know. I feel like it's so different from their like yeah. their main hits that I know. Yeah. I was like, What what this is strange for, to hear them doing like a cock rock kind of sure. thing. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, it for sure is. And um I think what I like most about it is that it's an attempt to actually write a song about Peter Parker. Like that's mm. another thing I love about nineties movie soundtracks is like, quick now write a song about Godzilla. Go. And it's like, uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and I just like, uh, artists being put to that kind of a challenge. It's fun. Yeah. Well, as far as that soundtrack goes, it always bothered me that, uh, raindrops keep falling in my head was not on it mm. <laughs> because it's mm-hmm. like, Come on, you don't get to pick what movies... You don't get to pick what songs are from it. Like, if the song's in the movie, you have to put... Like, that's not an option. Yeah. Like, yeah. So, it bothered it's, me. It's, it's like, music, why... Music music from and inspired, inspired by. by. I know. The and inspired by should be the option to me. The from, like, you need to have every song that's in the movie. Yeah. That was, well, that's the, the requirement. That was, that was the way my brain that's works. That's the baseline. So you need, you need like, to get yeah. the Butch Cassidy soundtrack. <laughs> Which, by the way, when they freeze frame the the image of Peter mm. at the end of that mm. sequence is that that's a that's a reference to Butch and Sundance isn't it is it I, a direct reference I feel like it is I might be wrong I've, I've never actually seen that entire movie but uh, you know on clip shows and things I feel like that's part of that sequence when they're riding the bike and it's just like eh, freezes because it was the 60s and that was different and wild man um, <laughs> has anyone seen that movie I have. I, I have. I don't remember. It, it also I, just fits in with all the other weird and fun transitions they do in this in Spider-Man Two. There's a lot of yeah. fades to black, which almost I feel like evokes like the turning of a page or like the opening of a new issue. You know, <laughs> there's there's so many discrete breaks in the sequence in the in the flow of the film. Mm-hmm. And there's one like really weird dissolve. I don't know if you guys caught it, but it's oh, like where exactly it's like the wavy. Yeah. <laughs> so it goes from uh Jameson speaking. It's like a dissolve of yes. Jameson cuts to like oh, the yeah. the ruined like little oh, the warehouse thing. Yeah, that yeah. Doctor Octopus mm-hmm. is working at and Oh uh, yeah, there's so many goofy and there, what's another there's another good one where um it zooms into the spider logo on his chest. Yes. <laughs> and then from that it's like the lightning striking against like the osborne family mansion it, <laughs> it's just so like cartoony and it feels like something that could be in uh a tim burton batman or something like that yeah your father only obsessed over his work <laughs> good night bernard <laughs> i love bernard getting his moment i mean it doesn't compare to his 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 big scene in spider-man 3 your father's oh glider <laughs> but like <laughs> I, I do i do like that it, very brief interaction between bernard and harry so me and my brother and my cousins that was like we we quoted this movie to death for one thing but we specifically quoted you know that <laughs> father always his work and good night bernard <laughs> and it 
it, it was like, you know, our own little personal meme or something. So I remember that being <laughs> mind blowing to me when it was like, oh my God, they're giving a scene to this guy in Spider-Man 3? <laughs> <laughs> Somebody else remembers that he exists? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I remember it blew my mind just going back and watching Spider-Man 1 and being like, oh, he's in that? He's in it too. Like, Yes. I learned that that's, that's Bill Paxton's father. Oh, yeah. Actor. yeah. Cool. <laughs> <laughs> I, yeah, I, I listened to the commentary of, of this movie today and, and learned that, and I was like, oh, that's fun. <laughs> I should do that. He's legendary. Did I, did I do it? Is it the commentary? Is it? No, I mean, Bill Paxton's father is legendary. Oh. <laughs> he's like the best part of Spider-Man 3 because he's in those deleted scenes when he like is just flubbing the line, your father's gilder. <laughs> oh. <laughs> uh, I got to find those deleted scenes. It's fun. You'll, you'll get a kick out of it. <laughs> I'm sure. <laughs> uh, but yeah, that offbeat humor, it's that Sam Raimi touch, which he's, uh, his fingerprints are all over this movie, baby. This is a mm. very, it feels very, even more personal, I think, than Spider-Man 1. Like, it definitely, the studio is like, okay, you made us a lot of money. Do your thing. People like what you're doing. Mm-hmm. And it's it shines through. There's so much weird goofiness that it's insane that it's in this movie. Like and he's so confident weird. about it, I love it. Yeah, yeah <laughs> weird camel. Like it's right from the beginning. Like during the pizza sequence, it's like you know you're in for a good time. Where it starts out and it, like does this comical zoom on Peter's face and the clock, where he's like seeing how much time he has, and that's just like the beginning. Like there's so many things from that point on, just insane little camera tricks or yeah. extended comedy bits. So much. So much stuff, like, even, <laughs> we think of, like, the MCU as being so funny, but this takes so many swings that you would never see in, like, a Marvel movie. It's crazy. <laughs> One of my favorite jokes remains, you know, Peter's trying to deliver the pizza, he's, like, running with the pizzas in hand, and then he, like, ducks into an alley or whatever, becomes Spider-Man, and then, like, swings away with the pizzas, and then <laughs> you got the extra that's like, whoa, he stole that guy's pizza. Yes. <laughs> Yes, that's the godfather of every, like, Spider-Man, do a flip thing. You know, it's yeah, just like, yeah. <laughs> just stole that guy's pizza. And that's, that's like a guy on Chappelle's show, too. It just makes it even more awesome. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah, he's like one of the, the, the players on that show. Okay, I really love the way that they treat Doc Ock almost like he's the t-rex from jurassic park mm, like yeah, he's his he's oh announced like his he's announced before he even arrives anywhere by the sound and the vibration and like those like quick zooms that like just like slowly oh. like get closer and closer every with each stomp of the of the arms yeah. i guess that are taking him everywhere <laughs> yeah. or i always love the course. moment too on the top of uh harry's where he's like standing out on the balcony and he can hear the like stomping as like Doc Ock is like climbing up the side of the tower, yeah. And the camera just like slowly like follows him as he looks from one side to the other, before then slowly looking over the side of it, and and then bam, Doc Ock just like bursts onto the scene, <laughs> trench coat flowing, yeah. bare chest, <laughs> the bare chest, yes. Oh my god! And of course, of course, the hospital scene. Oh my god! The mechanical arms come to life and. It's like it's like nothing else. The, yeah, the surgeons. I saw this before I saw Evil Dead, so this was like Evil Dead compacted yeah. into a single scene yeah. for me. <laughs> yes. And then when I saw the Evil Dead movies, I'm like, oh, it is the same guy. Yeah. Um, this scene I think works because it's like it's so compa- like it's 
crazy. Like, you can't even breathe, like, while the scene's happening. It all happens so fast, and yeah. it's, like, so <laughs> difficult to even keep up with it. And it's like, oh, my God, I can't believe this. Ugh, it just, it being, like, just in the middle of this movie. And I, so I think one of the things that really works for this movie is that it, it commits so fully to everything that it does. And that's, like, an instance of it where just for a scene, it's like, we're not treating this like a superhero movie. Like, this is a horror mm-hmm. film, just right. for a second. Yeah. And it does that other times, too, with, like, it's like, now it's a com- straight comedy. Now it's a romantic comedy. Now now it's an action comedy. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> like, when, when they're trying to rescue Aunt May from the side of a building. Like, that, talk, like when you said, like, stuff that wouldn't be in the MCU, like, that immediately would jump to mind. Like, just this old lady tumbling down the side of a skyscraper. <laughs> <laughs> that was that that was one of the things that was the closest to me being like what what like her back would break <laughs> like when he catches her with his web and then just like catapults her back up I, i'm fine with it she's now. a tough lady it, she's a tough old yeah. broad oh man yeah slamming uh her cane shattering his glass like like does like the slow motion this is the thing this is the thing this is the dunstan checks in zone right it's like what other movie has this where rosemary harris aunt may has a scene where she is like yeah falling off a skyscraper but also has a scene where she has to be like completely disappointed in her nephew for lying <laughs> about the death of her beloved husband you know it's just the and the circumstances around it it's like oh my god how do these two things exist next to each other and it, it the, the crazy thing is it feels right like it feels natural yeah like how how can i because that scene is devastating yeah. like it's i mean it anytime so that you you reach your hand out to another person's hand and they pull away that's always gonna be difficult but this is like yeah. what if your grandma did that to you yeah because you disappointed her so hard. Like, that is... Honestly, it's, like, one of the lowest points for Peter, I'm sure. It's like, oh, God, even Aunt May can't stand me anymore. Like, it's heart-wrenching. And... Yeah. How, wait, how fantastic is it that Aunt May is, like, a character in this? Like, she has more to do in this movie than she did in the first one. In the first one, like, her husband dies and raising a kid and stuff. But, like, this... She has, like great scenes like she's a character like she's a full character she's not just mm-hmm. what a treat <laughs> yeah and she's like like i mentioned i think earlier she's the conscience of the whole movie and i really like the way they set that up kind of like kind of coming in and sol- like almost solving this identity crisis or at least providing the the inspiration you know for peter to kind of get his shit together finally and yeah and, and get it in gear but I also like kind of contrasting her with like what MJ says at the end where she's basically saying like, well, there's no reason like you can't be true to yourself and be Spider-Man and also have the stuff that you want, which seems to me like the kind of message Aunt May might have given if she was several decades younger, like if she was <laughs> MJ's age. But you know, over time, because of the experiences and the life she's lived, she's like, no, you need to we also need you to just, you know, take this seriously uh, and and do its you know do and fulfill your responsibility and your obligations there's like that tension between the optimism and the realism that i really love and i think and, and punctuating the movie with it with mj you know giving us that last optimistic burst go get him tiger i always felt like when she's walking to the window at the end to watch him go out she's like almost it's with trepidation as much as like uh mm-hmm. 
you know, respect and admiration. It's like, I actually don't know if he can pull this off, you know, if if he can have what he wants. I've always loved that final image for that reason Mm -hmm. where, and that, that captured again, like that era of Spider-Man comics that I was into where they had been in a relationship for a while and it was often rocky and she was just Mm -hmm. worried about him constantly. Like, come home with like broken ribs and stuff like that she's like you can't keep doing this Mm -hmm. and that's to me that was like another instance of it just speaking to what the comic was like where she looks out the window and in that second she knows like this is going to be really difficult this is not going to be the smiles and sunshine that i just (laughs) said it was and for them to end the movie on that note i always loved that and then bam vindicated yep <laughs> Perfect. A plus. <laughs> I feel like the the windows even kind of like the paint on the windows like cracked, so it's yeah it it just feels very it doesn't it doesn't feel picture perfect it's it's flawed. One thing Toby pointed out in the the commentary about the ending was that it reminded him of the end of The Graduate, where he breaks up the wedding and they run off together. And they're sitting on the bus, like, is this going to work out? Like, <laughs> and Sam Raimi was like, "Oh, interesting." Like, I don't think Sam Raimi intended for that, but I feel like it does does have the the same effect. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it's that's that's a perfect way to wrap up this story. It's not like he solves it. Yeah, he, it doesn't. <laughs> it's not like he solves this problem of like reconciling being Peter and being Spider Man at the same time. It's like, yeah, it's always going to be a struggle. Yeah, the only thing that really gets solved by the end is that he finally gives Mary Jane like a choice in the matter, and that's that's like the one thing with with Pete in this movie is that it is a little cruel. I, I mean, obviously he's not intending to be cruel to her, but repeatedly keeping her at arm's distance, but then not letting her go and not telling her why, mm-hmm. it just is something where it's like you need to realize, buddy, like. If you're gonna do this, she needs to understand what's going on with you. Like, you need to give her the choice. Like, you can't just continually tell her we can't be together and then make like puppy dog eyes at her the second she tries to move on and move away. Like, like what? Like, what do you think is gonna happen? And he's clearly he's like heartbroken and miserable. So it's not like you know he's not <laughs> he's maybe not his best self. So I'll I'll give him that. But yeah, that's really the only thing that is solved at the end. Like. His life is still going to be as, exactly as difficult as it's ever been. It's just now Mary Jane is finally able to actually make a decision for herself in regards to what shape this relationship with her friend is going to look like. And he still didn't, he didn't like willingly give her that choice. <laughs> <laughs> like he was, uh, like you mentioned in the, in the cafe scene during the summary cam that he was about to reveal his secret to her. I don't know that he was like, cause he just basically yeah. said like, I don't love you. Like he just lied. And I guess they were, it did look like they were about to kiss and that was going to be the way that she was going to figure it out. So maybe he was mm. going to let that happen to reveal it, to reveal himself. But I mean, his <laughs> words certainly didn't reveal anything. He yeah. basically just said like, no, oh, sorry again. <laughs> <laughs> By the way, that's kind of the craziest Cinderella glass slipper logic that MJ keeps pursuing. <laughs> it's yeah. just like, do people really kiss that differently when you when you you know you just smushing your faces together? I don't know if you're gonna be able to tell. 
based on that one interaction. And it was raining too. You have to take, you know, that into account. This is, I don't think it's raining and upside, and upside down. down. I don't think it's, I mean, well, she tries to replicate that with John Jameson by, you know, yeah. moving to the other side of the couch so she can be upside down. Uh, I always wondered about that scene. Does it supposed to imply that she is considering, like, oh, maybe he's Spider Man? Is that, or is she just trying to recreate? I think the she's. I, yeah, I read it as like, does this have the same magic as that did? You know, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It, you know, trying to convince herself that this is the right decision. Like, oh, I'll kiss him, and this will be remind me of that, and where I at least can pretend because he's just as heroic and handsome as that that Spider Man was. And- and delicious. And delicious. <laughs> yeah, let's not <laughs> I think all of our nation's astronauts should be described as delicious. <laughs> that still to this day irritates me. It's one of the most irritating. Like, why would she refer to this astronaut as delicious during this speech? It's very strange. It and that's like the very... only moment where the camera like is fully zoomed in on this woman's face it was She's just it was there to new describe york. another character it was delicious. new york in the audience sam it was like it was just like sex in the city it was just, that was what was going on <laughs> speaking of jameson's though holy crap jk simmons is, is you know oh my God. one of his finest hours as well masterful <laughs> <laughs> like there there are very few comic book castings that i think are just pitch perfect like I, I you know i think marvel studios recognized they couldn't cast anyone else as as jameson for the mcu like they're just like yeah we have to use him again yeah well it's the same thing when even sony was remaking it it's like we're not even going to touch that we're not going to put him in the andrew garfield movies right. like, yeah. like what yeah. what we we can recast <laughs> spider-man we can't recast J. Jonah jameson <laughs> untouchable yeah, it is though. Like, who else are you gonna get that can anything less would be just like a shadow? Like, yeah. Well, especially he's... if you're if you're trying to do the same thing. Like, I I have to admit I do like him more in this kind of you know the cornier Sam Raimi, uh, you know, side of things where he is like an old timey newspaper man in suspenders, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. as much as I like in the new movies where he's like the Alex Jones type figure. That's more contemporary and and also very good, but man, he was born to play this kind of cynical, yeah. jaded newspaper man. Yeah, well, the, he's not there for the same reasons in the newer movies. Mm. Like, I, I love that there's like one sequence in um, No Way Home, you know, where Peter is just like standing in the rain and there's just that like giant J. Jonah Jameson <laughs> screen that he's standing in front of. And it's like that <laughs> moment alone warrants his being there. <laughs> But I'd say, like, aside from that, like, he's there as a, he's just moving the plot forward. It's not like in the Raimi trilogy where it's like, you almost just want the plot to stop so that you can just luxuriate in the world of the Daily Bugle, which is just yeah. its own crazy world. It's got its own little, like, in-jokes and recurring gags, like, between the movies yeah. that have nothing to do with anything else in the movie. Like, like wacky <laughs> cast of characters. It's just... For a second, you're stepping into another film. <laughs> Just this wacky, madcap, Daily Bugle business office. Yeah. <laughs> I like how like Peter's complaining. Like this is one of my favorite jokes, Daily Bugle jokes. Is Peter's complaining about you know getting paid or whatever, and <laughs> he's like, "Miss Brandt, give me a violin." Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and she's like, 
do yeah. I? <laughs> <laughs> Am I supposed to actually do that? <laughs> Your wife lost her pocketbook. Thanks for the good news. <laughs> and oh, also like you know, coming up with the name Doc Ock, you know, taking credit for Ted Raimi's suggestion. <laughs> <laughs> Doc Ock. Doctor Strange shout out too. Yeah, of course. Mm-hmm. Oh, and also speaking of like completely different movies going on within the movie, that Ditkovich family in their apartment. <laughs> <laughs> <It's> like, <laughs> holy cow! <laughs> uh, yeah, that's more of that committing to bits. It's like it's almost like a, a Muppet gag. Like you open the door and all this crazy <laughs> shit is going on. <laughs> Again, you can't. It's just it can only be in. Sam Raimi Spider-Man movie where he has this much control over what's happening. Yes. Like even if, from what I remember, I think Dickovich is in Spider-Man three again, but I don't. Yeah. I don't think they go as hard. No, on it. it's, it's I, I can't recall. It's but. kind of used to underscore Peter's transformation when he's with the, the symbiote's got him because he's like mean. oh right because he's a dick <laughs> to yeah. his daughter right yeah yeah so, okay speaking of the daughter what's up with that chocolate cake scene okay yes, what's your I take was, I was hoping this would come up and I <laughs> yes same I have the same question of everyone. Well, I think that at the point that that comes in the movie, that's like, that's after a lot, a lot of the shit that's been hurled at Peter. And I feel like it's before he's got his powers back, if I'm not mistaken. It is. It's right after he saves the kid from the fire, yes. but finds out somebody else died. Yes. And then he's in his apartment and he's like, like, what? What, what am I even doing? Like, yeah, like what, yeah, what, like, what have I done? What can I even do? And yeah. I, I think that that's there just to kind of, again be another one of these kind of very sincere existential moments but in in the opposite direction like this is a very human quiet act of kindness that reminds him of like kind of the good that he represented as spider-man and the good that he you know he can do in the world Mm -hmm. which you also see later when he's on the train and everyone is like lifting him to safety and attempting to stand up to dr octopus Mm -hmm. but yeah, I always thought that cake scene was there to balance out that that fire scene, being like, you know, there is still good in the world. Exactly. Basically. Yeah. Kindness and this is generosity. This is why you're doing it. Yeah. Is for every person you save could be this person who just yeah, is it, out of the goodness of their heart wanting to offer you a exactly. Piece of cake. Like you get, you couldn't save that one person, but you made a huge difference in this other person's life and in the life of his parent or her parents. You know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. She's almost like the, the the only person not shitting on Peter Parker at this at this yeah. point. <laughs> yeah, I guess that it's nice to be reminded of. <laughs> like, oh, <laughs> I mean, Doctor Connors is loving him. <laughs> His professor, <laughs> right? But yeah, yeah, just kind of in this the sea of of devastation and brutality that we see, like you know, <laughs> that that is the life of Peter Parker. It's it's yeah, kind of that classic Hollywood, you know, here's the one moment of kindness that makes everything seem clear. Yeah. I think that's always kind of where I've landed on it, too. It still just feels so disconnected from anything else in the movie that it's always kind of stuck out. But I, I've never disliked it. It's a nice moment. It's sweet, and I feel it. But I think the fact that it it's never followed up in any substantial way kind of confused me a little bit for a long time. That was definitely, yeah. I mean, I think we all felt that way at the time. I remember a snarky <laughs> joke made in a video game magazine about like when the Spider-Man 2 game came out. 
they they made a like a crack about it's like there's no there's no level where you eat the neighbor's chocolate cake or something. <laughs> <laughs> I wish there was a quick time event. <laughs> <laughs> Press X to say thank you. <laughs> so that it follows that up immediately with the uh, the Aunt May scene, which you've you've mentioned a couple times, Eric. But I don't like. I think I'm getting more sentimental, but I'm like every time I watch that movie now, I'm just tearing up like the entire time that's so much of this movie is i think like i like i said it's just so sincere and like emotionally raw that like for a lot of this movie like i seriously have like a lump in my throat and i'm like getting teary-eyed just constantly because the the like the emotions are always so on the surface like it's not it's not a huge subtext movie which is not always a good thing but in this case, like it, 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 you just feel everything so much that like Peter's going through, like the highs and the lows. Like it just, I think that's something special about this movie is it makes me like feel so much more than like almost any other superhero movies that I can think of. And it, it's crazy that it's so early in like the modern day superhero boom. And mm-hmm. I feel like in so many ways. I don't know that they're even trying to replicate this, but they, they haven't really like, it still feels unique as a superhero movie, even though this is like now a genre unto itself, like, and this is, should be one of the defining parts of that genre, but it's still, it feels like all its own to me. Like, I don't, I don't know if you guys, I don't feel the same way. Like I love the MCU. Like we, we talk about it all the time. Clearly I love it, but there's not, I can't think of like a single movie or Disney Plus show or whatever in the MCU that makes me feel the way that this movie does. Mm-hmm. And a lot of that could be nostalgia, you know. I've been in love with it since high school. Like, that's hard for the hard for the MCU to compete with. But well, I feel like there's like a there's a heightened quality to this movie that the MCU is almost not allowed to indulge in. Like, this movie feels very subjective. It's like. Peter's kind of like heightened, exaggerated version of his life being shitty. Mm-hmm. Like, like he's literally just rained on the whole movie, and to a, to a comedic degree. And I and I feel like we don't get that kind of like deep character arc as much in the MCU. Like, and and to do, to be done so stylistically, and and I don't know, you know what I'm trying to say? Like, yeah, well, yeah. There's like the MCU characters feel a little bit more like i think what you expect superheroes to feel like they're generally a little more in control mm-hmm. and the problems that they face i think that's a lot of it is that the problems that they face are overwhelming and mm-hmm. much harder to relate to like again that's like getting back to yeah. why people have always i think always loved spider-man is that this is unique to spider-man even going back in the comics like you can't necessarily relate to what's going on in Captain's Amer- Captain America's life, but you feel what Peter's going through when you feel stretched in two directions, uh, or that you desperately want to like just put off your responsibilities so you can like go do something fun with your friends. Like yeah. these are very just like they're real problems. Human. Yeah. Yeah. They're just like 
really just things that people go through on a day to day basis. They're the like, things that's what that, so much of yeah, this movie is. Yeah. They're the things that you go to the movies to escape from, like which is just makes it all the more <laughs> remarkable. I, I think, and I think that's really the key difference if we're talking about the MCU and the Raimi movies. It's MCU is indulging more in that fantasy aspect and that's what people expect and want and it's very appealing and successful it is a much harder thing to do and a much less uh uh, potentially appealing unappealing thing to have people think about and observe kind of real life problems in the middle of their comic book movie yeah totally and and, and i guess like the fact that spider-man 3 tries to kind of do similar things but fails on a lot of levels makes it clear that it's not just like a choice that you could make. Like things have to just happen to fall into place mm-hmm. correctly in a way that it's kind of miraculous that they did with this movie. Cause if you, if you hear about some of the behind the scenes stuff, like they were doing like rewrites, like day of and, mm. and stuff like that. And it's like, it doesn't feel that way at all. When you watch it, it feels so controlled and like it was how could it ever have been anything but this but apparently they kind of got lucky and and i I guess it's hard to you can't just choose when to get lucky so it is considerably easier to make kind of that escapist fantasy type of uh, superhero content and it's great too like i said i love me some mcu stuff i love tom holland spidey but not as much as toby (laughs) (laughs) to bring it back to Doc Ock for a second. Yes. But also relating to what we're talking about and kind of how this is very much a Peter Parker story. And I like when villains in a superhero movie are kind of like very directly represent an aspect of the hero's personality, just exaggerated to a toxic degree, you know? Mm -hmm. And so I like Dr. Octopus as a metaphor for the dangers of the work life imbalance. (laughs) (laughs) Ooh. Here's a guy who lets his obsession with his work literally take him over uh, at the expense of his wife's mm-hmm. life. And, and he, he, you know, he's got eight limbs, much like Spider-Man, <laughs> or a, much like a spider, rather. And so, I don't know. I like, I like that as, like, the danger of what's, what Peter could become in this movie if he continues down the path that he's going down. Letting work affect his, his personal life too much and, and just not reconciling the two, rather. Yeah. Finding a harmony between those two sides of himself. Made all the more heartbreaking in terms of Otto by yeah. the like the picture that we get of his home life mm-hmm. with Rosie. Mm. Like it's delightful. It looks so wonderful. Like that again, and just another thing that does not feel like part of a superhero movie. Like yeah. it feels so grounded but so warm. Like their their performances are like amazing. I love him so much in that scene. Just I it's like I want to be married to you. You seem like the most pleasant person in the world. And yeah, we rarely get like a villain that starts from such a warm place mm-hmm. in a superhero movie. How could that guy become the villain? And then Alfred Molina, to his credit, like he's so good at that. But then mm-hmm. once the switch gets flipped, he's so good at just being a like hammy comic book villain. Mm-hmm. And still somehow striking the balance, like towards the end, once the chip is kind of malfunctioning and he is sort of regaining, or he's sort of becoming Otto again instead of Doctor Octopus, mm-hmm. and he brings it back. And it like re- when he like sees Peter and he recognizes him, and, you know, brilliant but lazy. And it like mm-hmm. it's like the shock, like it flashes you back, and you're like, oh yeah, like think about the way he was in the beginning of the movie, like 
a completely different person. And what an amazing choice to get Alfred Molina to do this role. Like, can you imagine how lame it would have been if they just gotten like some kind of hunky guy or something? Like, <laughs> I mean, not that Alfred Molina is not attractive in his own way, but he's certainly not like classic Hollywood stud or something like that, you know? <laughs> well, according to Wikipedia, some of the other rumored choices were Ed Harris, Chris Cooper, which would have been a cool Seabiscuit reunion. <laughs> and this is the best one. Christopher Walken. <laughs> I saw that. What? I think of the of those choices, Chris Cooper, I think he would have been a decent choice, but or, yeah, even Ed Harris I can I can sort of see working. But I definitely in my at least what I'm imagining, I do not like as much as what we're getting with Alfred Molina because he also feels much more accurate to the comic, like, you know, uh, mm-hmm. at least yeah. just in terms of visually what Dr. Octopus looks like. Yeah, definitely. Like, I remember just seeing him in, even just in the trailers for the first time and being like, oh, man. It, like, as a Spider-Man comic fan, Dr. Octopus is better in this movie than in any comic that I've ever read him in. Like, <laughs> <laughs> that's how good they did it. It's like I they, <laughs> it feels it feels true to Dr. Octopus while also being better like better than it's ever been from pretty much every standpoint like you know there's a good amount of like emotion and heart um but he's also very sinister but just visually like he looks great like what he's wearing when he robs the bank oh fashion such fashion (laughs) (laughs) i love that scene too by the way i love like he's throwing bags of coins oh my gosh comic book yeah (laughs) I, i know that's like when i watch that scene i'm like this is the perfect comic book movie. Like he's literally mm. pulls a bank vault, like it's full of off of the wall, and then he's grabbing bags of gold coins. Yeah, it's like and cl- cloth bags of cold gold coins that are marked with a dollar sign. It's just like yeah. it feels like a mission from like the N sixty four game or something. <laughs> yeah, it's just suddenly you're watching a cartoon, but it looks like amazing. I, I think that is like probably the coolest action scene too. No, I mean, arguments could be made for some of the other sequences, but um, for it to have, like, such an awesome bank vault robbery, just supervillain robbing a bank, like, that's as classic as it gets, (laughs) and, but you know, you don't really see it very often in in movies. And, you know, speaking of classic comic book stuff, then there's the runaway train, which we we haven't quite dug into yet, but I, I love that sequence. It's so good. Yeah, me too. I like it less for the action and more for the like the rescue of the train, like the mm-hmm. interaction with the train passengers and then the payoff where, you know, they rescue Spider-Man and see his identity and then keep his secret. Uh, I love that. It's such a heartwarming yeah. moment. It is. I, I think it's definitely a more successful New Yorkers United moment yeah. than the mm-hmm. kind of hammy one in Spider-Man <laughs> 1. You mess with one of us, you mess with yeah. all of us. Like, <laughs> I was just gonna It say. always came across as a little goofy to me, yeah. whereas mm-hmm. it, I feel it a lot more in this one. As, as, it was cringe, yeah. as the kids say. Um, <laughs> even going back, and I'm someone who, like, you know, I talked about it. I, I think I've only seen Spider-Man 2 a few times. I saw the first Spider-Man a lot. Like, I own that on DVD and I really like that one, especially back in the day. So that'll be fun to talk about at some point in the future, because that's that's one I have a lot of nostalgia for. But yeah, that, that particular moment was always a little embarrassing, and yeah, I just love that 
It's like, here's what we really want to say about about <laughs> Spider-Man's bond with New York or, you know, the people, you know, contrast with the loud garbage throwing stereotypical <laughs> New Yorkers from the first movie. Yeah. I yeah I feel it I feel it here like they're standing up yeah because they're just they're all just like oh we'll take the Green Goblin and that it is kind of lame in the first one how that almost does kind of defeat the Green Goblin (laughs) 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 whereas in this one it's like we're all they're all try to you know stand in Doc Ock's ways you have to go through me he just takes two of his arms goes (laughs) pins everybody against the side of the tree like yeah whatever I I I love that even in that moment which is like funny in in a way yeah. It also, like, underlines just important themes about Spider-Man, where it's like, stand up, do the right thing, even if you know you'll fail. Like, and that's Mm -hmm. just every, well, not every, but so many moments of this movie just are constantly underlining that. Like, even just, like, like, corny stuff, like, when he's saving the kid and the kid helps pull him back up, which physically makes no sense. You know, like, when he's saving the little child from the burning building. yeah, yeah. And he's like, he falls down and then the kid like helps like pull yes. his hand up. And it's like, if this happens, that means that the, the child is just going to fall yeah. down. <laughs> he's like trying to pull himself back up, but it's, uh, it still manages to do it for me. It's just all these little moments of just do the right thing. Like just be, be a good person. It's so, it's so Spider-Man to me. It's, it's so, it's so Spike Lee. Just always do the right thing. <laughs> <laughs> to bring it back to the action of the train sequence, I love when they fall off the building and then they land on the train and it's like they tumble on it like a Looney Tunes cartoon. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like they literally like just ball, like they tumble and they're like balls. Like it looks like it was like a ball of dust or something like from a, <laughs> like an old. And uh, it's just moments like that that feel. Yeah. Just that, that well, Sam Raimi touch where it's just like, let's get into this action scene in like the goofiest way possible. Well, transition directly from that to Doc Ock throwing innocent people off the train and Spider-Man like creating web landing pads for them. Little nets. <laughs> like, that's something I love too. That to me is something that's like that you would see in a comic and you'd be like, how does this make sense? <laughs> and then you see it on screen and it's like, I mean, it doesn't make sense, but that's what it would look like so (laughs) kudos to the movie for realizing something just absurd like that (laughs) also just on the subject of absurd things in this movie uh this was my introduction to the wonder of bruce campbell (laughs) (laughs) something fun to think about whenever i go back and watch it again is a great little bruce campbell comedy sequence oh my god yes great timing uh yeah, I think I like this better than his cameos in one or three. Three is definitely too much, and one is good, but he doesn't get to shine as much as he does yeah, here. It's all too brief. Doesn't, <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, it, it's it's a fun thing when I watched it, and I always thought it was hilarious. And then I became familiar with Evil Dead and Bubba Hotep and all these other fun Bruce Campbell things. And then watching it again, I was like, oh, that was that was Bruce Campbell all along. <laughs> Snooty Usher. Oh, yeah, just his comedic timing as he silently gestures to the signs <laughs> on either side of him. <laughs> or just the whole, the whole rigmarole of going, like, fixing, tying his shoe, fixing his tie. And then he's <laughs> yep. just like, 
can't come in. <laughs> I also like, speaking of celebrity cameos, the uh, Hal Sparks scene in the elevator oh, makes yeah. me laugh. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, mostly because of Toby's performance. He's like, he's kind of like shying away. <laughs> he's like avoiding eye contact. He just seems really embarrassed to be wearing Spider- the Spider-Man costume at that point. He's just like... <laughs> <laughs> I made it. Yeah, I gotta, I gotta take the elevator. <laughs> Joel McHale at the bank. Yes, mm-hmm. I was just about to uh, say, yeah. <laughs> Another fun thing for me to go back to after becoming much more familiar with Joel McHale, uh, and then like, oh wow, look, look who it is, and it like his just com like comedic overperformance yeah. of everything. Ow! Just getting kicked by <laughs> ow. Ow! And then he like literally is limping as he gets up later on in the scene, <laughs> as if Aunt May kicked him that hard. And then again when she slaps the coin from his hand, ow! <laughs> it's like a little baby. <laughs> and uh, gotta love Daniel J. Kim as one of Doc Ock's employees. Mm, yes, <laughs> that's right. <laughs> Another one of those fun things couple years later where it was like hey look who it is <laughs> a successful fusion god were there any others i feel like this movie's like every time i watched it, it's like packed with people like that where it's just surprising cameos oh well speaking of which this is like the subtlest stan lee cameo ever it's crazy to me that this is how these cameos used to be yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> whereas like by the just Immediately, by the time you get to Spider-Man 3, like, he's got dialogue that he shares with Tobey Maguire that's, like, totally over the top <laughs> and everything. But <laughs> Spider-Man 1 and 2, he's just the guy that moves people away from rubble that's falling during action sequences. <laughs> well, he's there to show that, I guess, one person really can make a difference. <laughs> Moving people away from rubble. Enough said. Enough said. <laughs> uh, you got John Landis as one of the doctors in the hospital scene. Oh, really? That's right. I saw oh, that. Um, you also get that weird doctor in the the scene where Peter is losing his powers and oh yeah, oh the hippie doctor, which, yeah, yeah. Which is another scene where it's like I don't think I like this. Would that's like how I felt the first time I was watching it, but I I did like I couldn't fool myself. Like it was a. Uh, and it's like somehow even that like goofy performance from that weird hippie doctor, like it it gets me. <laughs> like when I watch it now, what does he say? It's like lose your soul. Nothing's worse than uncertainty, and it's mm-hmm. I don't know, just little lines like that that just really feel like going through an existential crisis like this, where you don't know who you are. Like yeah, just making a whole superhero movie about that, about mm-hmm. just feeling like that loss of self it's a, it's a cool thing to do yeah such a vibrant world and such an interesting story almost the antithesis of the superhero power fantasy yeah these these powers suck yeah. they're ruining my <laughs> the life powers suck. They, they turn you into something you're not like this is <laughs> or you just like it's it's something that's forced upon you and now this is what you are deal with it it's it, it almost feels like you know coming to terms with uh growing up i guess getting a job like here's something you're doing you probably didn't expect to be doing this but here's what you do and for a lot of people like that's that's reality and i think i don't know it 
there's something I I feel like I could make work there in terms of, especially in terms of Spider-Man, which is totally about coming of age. You got a job to do. It's like part of it is that you got a job to do, so you you better do it. (laughs) Yeah. And for most people, that feeling is associated with doing something that's not necessarily helping the world all that much. The difference is that for when Peter Parker doesn't do his job, people die. Like, I think that's that's a line that has always stuck out to me from, I think, Homecoming, where he says, like, if you have powers like I have and people get hurt because you didn't do anything then it's your fault like it's something like that which is basically like their sort of proto version of with great power comes great responsibility and uh spider-man his job is so important and so thankless that's how can you not relate to that (laughs) that feeling of you all feel that on some level (laughs) yeah so i think this this spider-man's pretty popular i think they're going to be able to make some more movies about him i hope so is there anything else we want to talk about Asif Mandavi, just want to make, give him a shout out in our roll call. Oh yeah, go! <laughs> <laughs> and that indignity of ripping the sticker off of Peter's helmet, you're fired. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Taking the badge and go. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> Twenty nine minute guarantee. Come on, in New York City, that's insane. It's a promise, man. <laughs> <laughs> All right, sounds like we're ready to thwip on over to the other segments of this podcast. Uh, and the first one, let's spin out some pitches. I can go first with my pitch because I want to see not so much a sequel as a spinoff from this movie a three camera sitcom that stars the dickovich family <laughs> <laughs> and just kind of expressing or, or exploring this idea i've expressed to you guys like in our normal lives away from the podcast about what's it like for regular people regular new yorkers to live in a world with all these super powered beings running amok and dealing with apocalyptic threats every other tuesday you know what about all the property damage when will Mr. Dickovich get his rent? And will Ursula ever break her way into the heart of her next door neighbor? And in this show, Peter Parker, Spider-Man, will be like an unseen character. Just reference, but like, he's like, he lives next door, but we never see him. Kind of like uh, Norm's wife in Cheers. Do we see Peter or just not even see Peter? Not even see Peter. No Peter, no Spider-Man. Uh, he'll, he'll just be a presence he's a weird guy that lives next door because this, this movie kind of like, you know, throws out enough like nuggets to build on like the Kirk Connors is in this movie. John Jameson is in it. They reference Dr. Strange. Like we talked about, like there's, you could still like in kind of in a modern day Disney plus Marvel TV sense, you could still build it out maybe. But I also went, since we talked about, you know, movies within movies, not just the Dickovich's, but the daily bugle will be part of this world. Mm. Have one of the Dickovich clan working for, you know, in J Jonah Jameson's crew. And that's why we'll call this show Give Me Spider-Man or Give Me Rent. (laughs) Brilliant. That's awesome. Taking those fully realized unique worlds that we only get glimpses of and uh, giving them the spotlight they deserve. You got it. (laughs) Um, Well, I'll go the the more pedestrian route and just sort of... uh, I don't have like a full... I'm not... (laughs) 
not going to give you like give you like my script treatment like I do sometimes, but I just want to talk about a couple of the things that I'm looking for in this movie, and then basically where I want it to go. So this is kind of the stuff that like me and my brother obsessing over Spider-Man Two back in the day. We were like, can't wait for Spider-Man Three. It's going to have this and this. And one of them was like, oh, Kurt Connors is there. He's already missing his arm. So lizard, lizard's going to be. That's what's going to. They're going to sell the movie as being a lizard movie. But really what it's going to be is just Harry tormenting Peter by infiltrating every aspect of his life. Um, he's stalking Mary Jane. He's um, making threatening overtures to May. Not telling anybody. Like, Peter knows that it's like a crazy... The crazy goblin, basically, is coming around to all the people and subtly threatening them at all times. Where Peter feels like nobody is safe. Nobody that he knows is safe, um, and he doesn't know what to do about it, and it's his best friend that he wants to help, obviously. Uh, we see Harry finding the, the goblin serum. My idea of it is that he basically becomes addicted to it, uh, so it's like a drug where he, as he does it, he mm. loses more and more of his mind as he's getting like stronger, so he's getting like bolder and bolder with his threats to reveal Spider-Man's identity or just do whatever he can to ruin his life. And the idea of it being like a drug that he gets addicted to would also mirror a famous storyline in which Harry does become addicted to drugs uh, prior to becoming the Goblin during the 70s and some comics that were not approved by the Comics Code <gasps> Authority because of drug use, oh. even though they were uh, showing us a very anti-drug message. But even for it to be that explicitly stated, which even this Raimi movie, I'm saying, well, you know, we can dial it back. It doesn't have to actually be amphetamines, which I think was part of what it was like in the comics it's like no we'll just it's goblin serum it's a stand-in for drugs and it's making him go crazy and torment everybody around him and sort of drag everybody down into the muck um we can have him you know terrorizing the daily bugle that way we're still getting some jameson in <laughs> and while all this is happening spider-man is just trying to deal with the lizard threat and he's exhausted because every aspect of his life is just being ruined by harry and so what should be a relatively simple thing for him to do, he's having trouble doing. Like, he can't he can't stop the lizard. He keeps getting stopped. Harry is putting him in situations where it looks like Spider-Man is robbing a bank or something like that. Because, you know, he go and, like, terrorize a building. And Peter tries to get there to save the day. But, like, Harry's giving a lead to Jameson or, or whatever. You know, just basically things are even worse. <laughs> and, uh... If we want, we can still be planting some seeds in there. We got John Jameson. He can come back from the moon with a symbiote. We can have Eddie Brock working at the Bugle, taking pictures of Spider-Man's failures. That's seeds for a later movie, though. I don't want to do any Venom stuff in this one. But you can keep planting seeds. Ultimately, what it is is um, Spider-Man is able to help the lizard, but Harry basically locks Peter and Mary Jane into some sort of situation in which like, all three of them are going to die. Like He's like, this is the way we're all going to go out. And this is me directly calling back a storyline from the comics, but that's what you do, right? So eventually, Peter convinces Harry to save Mary Jane. And then once they get out outside, Mary Jane is the one that talks Harry off of the ledge and is like, what are you doing? Like, that's your best friend in there. Go save him. And uh, the drugs are, like, they've been messing up Harry. He's been having, like, weird, like, heart problems and stuff like that. But he manages to go in there. He saves Peter. And then he, uh, they reconcile, and then he collapses and dies. And that's how Harry dies in the comics. 
is basically mm. spoilers sorry doing that exact thing where he gets everybody into a terrible situation and then has to be talked down and reminded of the importance of these friendships and these people that he loved and how much that he's lost by basically going insane and destroying all his relationships over goblin serum usage and things like that and so uh it's gonna be a sad movie <laughs> <laughs> that's that seems that tracks man <laughs> but it's what it's yeah. what i wanted though yeah. it's like me and my brother would we talk about it. it's like oh man lizard's gonna be there harry's gonna be there he's just gonna be tormenting him it's gonna be like those spectacular spider-man comics that we read back in 1991 <laughs> <laughs> so yeah i mean i don't have a beat for beat down but that's what i want to see in this that's the spider-man 3 that i always wanted and they didn't give it to me exactly like i wanted so how could i do anything other than hate it (laughs) (laughs) and be justified in doing so exactly (laughs) vindicated (laughs) now i'm vindicated because i've gotten my desires out into the world so people can hear me on this podcast being angry about what i didn't get and that's what the internet's all about right I, now I kind of want to read about you know something some kind of real life drug with the street name Goblin Serum. I think we should start calling something <laughs> that. <laughs> in, in, in some ways, that's what a lot of drugs already are. Like meth, it's just Goblin Serum. That's what it does to you. We don't need to make yeah. meth sound cooler than it is. Though. <laughs> just Goblin Serum it sounds cool. Does it? Do you want to turn into a goblin? I don't know. No, but it sounds cool. It's, it's just a cool name, right? <laughs> goblin serum? <laughs> I it don't is, know. Maybe you've got it a It is fun. It is kind of fun. Yeah, we don't want to do the wrong thing. Cam, what do you got? Uh, mine, mine's a little, you know, not as fleshed out, but um, after No Way Home, I like I like Ooh. the idea of an older, modern-day Tobey Maguire going back to his own universe to be a mentor to a younger hero. So, inspired by the comics from the 90s, uh, which I had a couple issues, I want a Spider-Girl movie Mm. about Peter and MJ's daughter, May Parker, who inherits his powers. So, this would be set in the Raimi-verse, with a whole implied history of villains, including some inspired by the villains of the original trilogy, like May's arch-nemesis, Hobgoblin. He can be, like, directly inspired by... The original Green Goblin. And to keep my pitch relevant to Spider-Man 2, let's have May happen upon Octavius's mechanical arms at the bottom of the East River. And it turns out that the evil Otto's personality has somehow been stored inside the tentacles, which attach themselves to May and take over her mind. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so her father is forced to put on the suit again and bring her back to the light side. And that that's pretty much it. Bring Sam Raimi back, bring... Bring back as many actors and characters that want to come back. And we call it, taking some inspiration from several comics, I call it the Superior Spider Girl. The <laughs> <laughs> uh, layers. Uh, you know. I know what you're thinking. Brilliant, but lazy. <laughs> uh, I was a big Spider Girl fan. I went through a Spider Girl phase for a while. I read, I think, like the first... 25 or so issues of it mm-hmm. so that's that's awesome you're speaking my language i mean i feel like like that that's within the realm of possibility with the popularity of no way home and i feel like they could they could easily do like a new toby movie oh yeah sony's and gotta bring be her in thinking about all this like yeah. 
now we've can we do just have three different concurrent spider-man <laughs> franchises going on at once oh, like no. you know they're talking about that and yeah see my, my thought is like spider-girl for toby put andrew in the venom verse and then keep mcu spidey going however marvel wants miles morales and then miles yeah i feel like miles is the next step of mcu maybe yeah I mean, I think Tom Holland's already kind of aging out of it. Well, he can be Spider-Man. Like, they can they can jump forward a, a few years. Boy, yeah, he do, he no longer looks like a, a high school boy only. You know. <laughs> <laughs> Spider boy. <laughs> um, that is a fun thing when you watch No Way Home now, and it's like, look at that man standing there. He still looks so tiny. He still looks so small. I mean, he's still way too young to be a Nate Drake, as far as I'm concerned. But that's a story for another time. <laughs> so you did mention that it takes place after no way home is that just acknowledging the fact that no way home exists because you didn't bring any like no way homish elements into it just out of curiosity this is very important no I, i'm just saying like a- after me seeing no way home oh okay i like the idea of seeing old old, old toby, toby Moore okay. in a movie yeah it. it doesn't have to be connected to no way home mm-hmm. okay can't wait till they do something till they give the no way home treatment to like other franchises like james bond the mind-blowing mm. things you could do <laughs> that's what no way home reminded me of is like the uh like doctor who like the old doctor who specials where it's like they get all the actors to come back together and they're like acting off each other and it's like oh this is so strange yeah, i can't believe this is a real thing incredibly weird <laughs> i didn't even talk about alfred molina and no way home but he's not the most exciting thing in it. <laughs> I like how grumpy he is. Yeah, yeah. I thought he was even more of a comic book character in that one. He like really sinks his teeth into the kind of sardonic humor of the character. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I did see some funny thing where he talked about it. He's like, oh, man, how can I like play this character again after all these years? And then he's like, oh, actually, the arms just do all the work. All you have to do is just glower. <laughs> <laughs> uh sweet pitches though i want all those movies or sitcoms <laughs> <laughs> well then it's done and all all we got to do is wait for hollywood uh to pay us in large bags of gold coins and <laughs> don't forget the free toaster <laughs> that's true though man sony they'll take any pitch right now right they just yeah. want to keep milking this thing <laughs> So. That's all they got to go on. <laughs> Aunt May movie done. Oh baby, yeah, get all the Aunt Mays together. <laughs> <laughs> Mayday. Mayday. <laughs> That's the May Parker movie. She yeah. she unites the Mays. Yeah, I mean, that they used to call her Mayday. Her namesake. And that, yeah. Yeah. Well, unlike Sony Picture Studios, we are coming to the end of our string. And we got one more question to answer for Spider-Man 2, guys. What were we watching? What were we watching? I was watching a perfect Peter Parker story that is a distillation of what Peter Parker, Spider-Man, is all about. Impotence. Just kidding. <laughs> uh, but it is about the struggle 
to live a normal life while trying to be Spider-Man at the same time. And everything in this movie, the comedy, the villain, is working in conjunction with that theme. And it's just a delight. Firing on all cylinders, if you ask me. I agree. Yeah. And I was watching what everyone's been talking about all these years, not just my friends, but also, you know, in the general critical assessment, one of the best superhero movies of all time, even one of the best movies of that year or that decade, often on those kinds of lists. And it's just a work of great passion and conviction and confidence all the way through. And uh, it makes me feel... Like I'm, I'm seeing that it's okay for superhero movies to be sincere and corny, instead of grim and or snarky. <laughs> <laughs> Which I don't mind, you know, but I don't like it when those are the only flavors. Oh yeah, as a Superman boy, this has got to be right up your alley. <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, I was watching. Bear with me here. I'm going to get even more grand. It really is just one of my favorite movies of all time. And in so many ways, because it commits so fully to all these different genres and moments and styles within the movie, it feels like I'm getting everything I could want from a movie when I'm watching it. I get to laugh. I get to enjoy crazy, insane comic book action. I get to like be scared of Dr. Octopus. I don't know. It just... Because it is so many different things at once and because it does all of them so well i feel like i get an experience watching this movie that i get from almost no other movies where it just feels like a this is like why i watch movies is to feel all these things and to get them all from one movie it still shocks me every time like i always think i'm gonna come back to it a couple years later and be disappointed and i never am every time i watch it it's always everything i could want from a movie uh so that's what i was watching is just straight up one of my favorite movies of all time. Way up there. Watching it again for this podcast. What a treat. Thank you guys so much for having me on. Thank you. Thank you for bringing your love of Spider-Man too. Absolutely. My pleasure. If you want to do this again, I could do another full episode, say all different things, and have a, another great time. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's, let's just schedule a weekly, weekly Zoom, weekly Spider-Man 2 Zoom. I'm in. Where we just discuss this film. <laughs> Like I said, Sam, it was it was our pleasure to have you here to bring your love of all things Spider-Man and specifically Spider-Man 2. It's been a real treat. And if people want to continue hearing your thoughts on things, uh, where else should they go? Uh, well, of course, there's always the mainstay, Marvel Star Wars Explorers. We're on a hiatus right now, but we've covered every Marvel Star Wars comic from the 70s and 80s, every single one. Even the ones that only came out in the United Kingdom. Uh, but we're going to s- still keep covering comics and talking about Star Wars. So if you want to hear me and other 10-timer, Brian Rudloff, talking about Star Wars comics, that's your venue. But even more relevant, if you're a fan of what we're we watching, you've probably heard Cam mention it once or twice, but me and Cam are doing a podcast now, and it is a monthly podcast about Young Jedi Knights star wars books from the 90s uh and it was called young jenna knights club and it wouldn't be a cam podcast if there wasn't also a heaping dose of nostalgia added to that uh discussion (laughs) so every month you get to hear us luxuriating in our favorite 90s pop culture of the time as well so if you like what you're hearing on what we're watching it's a safe bet you'll get something out of that podcast as well so that's young jedi knights club it's true. 
All of it. All of it. <laughs> <laughs> this is a fact. This is a fact. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. <laughs> I vouch for both of those projects. Uh, so thank you, Sam. Everybody check out Young Jedi Knights Club. Everybody check out Marvel Stars Explorers. Check out all this incestuous podcast business that we've got going on. <laughs> it's. It seems like I feel like that's one of the reasons why we don't have you on as much as I think, you know, we, we would imagine. You just get or, to hear me like, all the time. Yeah. We hear you all the time. We're always on each other's podcasts. It's like, we're always sitting with each other with headphones on for some reason or another. <laughs> <laughs> but when you, when you play in this sandbox, it's extra special for me personally. So thank you, Sam, once again, for joining us. Thank you for having me. Spider-Man two. Number one movie of all time. No, I'm not standing by that, but <laughs> you heard it here, here, folks. You better send Sam those emails and say whether or not you agree with it. Sp- Spider-Man Two, best movie of all time, yay or nay? Get that poll going. Oh man, I hope uh, there's some yays in there. <laughs> maybe reach out to us on Facebook or Instagram or Twitter or social media handles. Uh, what were we watching? And you can also go to our website, whatwerewatching.com, to listen to more of our episodes. And our, go to our Bandcamp page to get all the real old shit if you want to see where Sam's long journey to the 10-timer club began. <laughs> and, of course, write us letters, notes, emails at whatwerewewatching at gmail.com. We'd love to hear your Spider-Man memories. Haven't gotten enough after we did the Spider-Man animated series. So this is another opportunity. If you want to talk about Spider-Man, hopefully this inspires you. So, guys, I think that's it. I think we've come to the end. I don't got any more. You guys <laughs> got anything else you'd like to say? <laughs> I'm just trying to think of a way to end it now. <laughs> but uh, Just avenge me. <laughs> avenge me! <laughs> Will do. Will do. Uh, so thanks again for, for listening to What Were You Watching? And until next time. I'm leaving for the night, sir. Fine. Your father only obsessed over his work. Good night, Bernard. <laughs>